Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's a small bit of a needle there. Come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Listen between them, and now they're really roaring. And I can tell you, tell you, there won't be a pound milk, how declare for at least a week. Hello everyone, you're very welcome to the Irish Examiner Gaelic Football Show. My name is Paul Rouse and I'm joined today by Ushin McConville, the former Armagh footballer, and by Joanne Cantwell, the former Dublin footballer and presenter of the Sunday game. Joanne, we were talking here uh, a few weeks ago. Ushin and Eamon Fitzmaurice were saying that they'd love to still be playing football, but they decided against pulling back on the boots. However, last year you came out of retirement to, to play club football. Why did you do that? Um, well, I do believe that what Ushin said was that he he wouldn't physically be capable of because he's half dead. Um, but that doesn't make it, that doesn't really make it. Very true, actually. But he did say his skills were still different gravy. If I make <laughs> by the way, he, actually, yeah. I, funny enough, I forgot about that part. Uh, my skills are not still different gravy. Not that they ever were. Um, why did I come back? I'll tell you why I came back. Um, I actually stopped playing properly when I was far too young, when I was um, kind of early to mid-twenties because work started to get crazy. But I should have continued to do it anyway. It's a, a stupid thing to do and a, a poor excuse. Uh, but what happened was I got into this phase where it felt like I never played, even though football had dominated, and I mean dominated my life for absolute years. And then to suddenly have it be like that never really happened was very strange. Um, I did briefly go back about 10 years for one year just before I started a family. Um, I got roped into joining the, the local club. And then what happened was a couple of years ago, Paul Early gave me a call about something. And as a joke, he said, I'm, uh, I'm training the girls again. If, if you want to, if you're interested in coming training. And I said, really? Yeah. So uh, I somehow found myself training with a load of young ones and <laughs> having runs, rings run around me, but uh God, it was it was like a, a new lease. It was it was one of the best things I've ever ever done, and it doesn't matter that I'm about two and a half times the age of my most of my teammates and most of my opponents, uh, and especially last year, you feel like you're just getting a new lease of life or something. It's, it's brilliant. Are you going back this year? I am. Eleventh, eleventh May. Is it? Is this? You said I read where you, you you said last year I made a big mistake and I stopped playing. Yeah. Is that what's behind this? Um, possibly. There, there's a good there. There is um. There's a good chance that that's what's behind it. Um, yeah, because it definitely was. But I, I stopped playing when when I was probably in my prime as well, which is really really annoying because I'm certainly a long way past that. It's part that, and it's also part. Sometimes you get to a certain age and, and you just stop doing things because you're a certain age and you feel you shouldn't do stuff. And actually, it turns out that that's not true. So I think part of it is that as well, to see that I still do things, still get out there and and train and and kick kick a football. Physically, physically how do you feel after after training or games? 
Um, I love it. Now, obviously, I'm not. We were junior B last year in Kildare. I'm obviously not training at the sort of level that uh, I, you would have been with Cross McGlenn. So different to that. No, no, but you still have to run around. You still have to tackle, and yeah. you still have to. Well, well, to be honest, I, I keep myself pretty fit. I, I do a lot of running the last couple of years. So I most, well, every week I do a good bit of running and a few bits of uh, other pieces. So I'd be terrified if I were to stop that for any length of time that I would never, ever be able to start again. And I'd certainly never get back into any condition. So I actually love the training sessions. And you know the way everybody was giving out about Zoom, the Zoom sessions? We had uh, Alva on our team was doing our hit on a Tuesday and our strength training on a, a Thursday over Zoom was one of the highlights of my week that Tuesday, the hit session. It was just brilliant. And we actually stopped last week and I was devastated. So, and that makes me sound like I'm one of these super fit people, which I absolutely am not, but I, I love doing it. So um, the body at the moment is fine. But you know, as you get older, when you were younger, it was the, it's the, the muscles that are hurting you after a, a session. But then when you get older, it's your bones. <laughs> it makes you feel ancient. How were you received by by the girls who you're playing with, the women you were playing with, and those you were playing against. Um, you do have a very high profile job within Gaelic games. There's nobody on those pitches who wouldn't know who you are. Oh, oh you're wrong, actually. There, I think, really? Well, first of all, I'm oblivious to an awful lot of things, so part of that. Uh, um, but no, there are plenty of people who don't know who I am, which is great. Um, and then the others are that they're fine. I, I, men and women are very, very different. I'd say it might be slightly different if I were uh, a Michael Lester, a Darren Maloney or something uh, going, I played. Uh, women tend to be kind. Um, I haven't got any nonsense, if that's what you mean. Um, and the girls on the team, I think, mostly find it hilarious. <laughs> and they, they think they think I'm like the mammy on the team, which I probably am. The I want to bring you back to the 8th of November last, and you were down in Parky Cueve for the Munster semi-final between Cork and Kerry, and the rain was biblical. You're in a you're in a, a kind of outdoor studio. It felt surreal watching that game on on television, and not just in the way it unfolded, but everything around it felt. It just felt a, a really surreal thing to watch. What was it like being there? Yeah, surreal is the best word. It's it's definitely the best word because everything about it was just weird. That the, the the rain was like nothing that I had experienced before the match ever. Now, the funny thing was, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I struggle in the cold more than anything else. It wasn't actually that cold. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you poor things. Jeez, we were we were blessed to be there. I, there's nowhere else I would, I would rather have been. And to be fair, we were largely sheltered every now and then because it was like a monsoon and there was this big swirl going the whole time. Every now and then you get this huge gust of wind and rain would come in and it would blow everything and it would make it look worse than it was for us. Uh, it was, But it would have been way worse for the players out in the pitch. Having said that, Porky Queef surface was unbelievable it was just how it held up i don't know um uh so what was it like it was brilliant i, I mean you, you knew first of all the match was intriguing because of uh, of the way it went and as i was watching it i knew Corp were doing really really well it never occurred to me actually that kerry wouldn't win and i was even surprised when we went to the extra time but but when Markeen, first of all, when Luke Connolly had that pop that went up in the sky and you were thinking no what are you doing what are you doing and then when Mark Keane scored the goal, and I actually went back and I looked at it a few weeks ago, and uh, Jura's commentary was just brilliant. How he responded so quickly, it was fantastic. But just being there, and I, I was beside Colin Cooper. He happened to be the one next to me. 
just you just couldn't believe it. So, so I think surreal is the word that you picked for it, and it was definitely the one that summed it up. Oshin, you you weren't you weren't working that day in Parky Cueve. You were you were up north that day, isn't that right? I was freezing my ass off somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, and so you you did you see that match live, or were you were you? Yeah, no, I see, I seen. It. I I was watching at home with the with the kids, and uh, we had sort of we we had talked about it the week before in the podcast. We cheered on, yeah. Who told yeah. us what was going to happen? Exactly. And you mocked him. You absolutely mocked him. You you did everything him, yeah. but travel to Cork to to laugh at him. Yeah, I rubbished him, and uh, but still, it started. It was it was the start of something. That was very special last year. I felt like Joanne saying about you know people saying about you know you're freezing. There's no way that I would go home to my mum or any of my family and say, "Listen, it was absolutely freezing today," because they would chop me head off. Because we were the lucky ones because we got to experience what was going on. I mean, you take you take that game, you take what happened in the final with Tipperary and Cork, and you go and you go to Armagh and you have uh, Donegal and Cavan, and uh, all of those games made the championship what it was that's not even taken into consideration of Harland um, but yeah it was a very special year I thought to be involved in uh, in, in in that in, in punditry felt very important all of a sudden uh, very very important uh, because other, because people didn't have the opportunity to get there and it, in Ulster football a lot of stuff goes off goes on off the ball fair it's fair enough to say, and even in in, in other what kind of stuff, even in other provinces as well, just intriguing stuff that like, especially from the say, like there's a lot of verbals. Like we talked about this before, it seems a lot more verbals in also football than there is anywhere else. Um, so the verbals is one thing, and then um, how to negate an opponent. There's lots of different ways in order to do that, and 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 also there seems to be a couple more uh, on top of that. So I suppose. Uh, as I say, punditry felt it felt more important than ever that you're able to to give people a little bit more of an insight um, than normal because people didn't have the opportunity to go and see it. Um, it was played under completely different conditions than we would normally see it, uh, and actually in, in a lot of time in different grounds that than we were used to seeing it as well. Um, like an also final in, in the athletic grounds in in Armagh, like and and whether that really and truly wasn't conducive to the great football, um. But I think that's what made last year so special. And I think people seeing it at the time, I looked at it and I said, look, look, this is a one-off. Let's try and uh, make the most of it. it. Turns out we're getting another crack at it, even though a little bit earlier in the year. Um, but yeah, it, it seemed like a, a very special year to be involved in in, uh, in TV stuff and radio stuff. You you two worked together on the on the broadcast of the All Ireland Football Final in Christmas Week. A sentence which seems quite remarkable to say. It. What was that like? What was what was it like to be in Croke Park that day? Brilliant. Yeah. Go on, Ashley. It, it was it was brilliant, and you know what. Uh, I've I've gone back over that game a couple of times now, and, and there's a couple of reasons for it. Because Joanne asked me a question at half time of the All Ireland final, and uh, and I answered it, and I got a bit of uh, mates and, and family members and that were, were questioning what I said. But uh, what I Joanne asked me, what would you do with the sweeper, or what would you do with the extra man? And I said, it has to be a deep sweeper, 
there has to be some scar tissue from what Mayo of uh, what went on Mayo the previous year. We can see the two eight and whatever ten twelve minutes or whatever it was, and uh, and I thought you know they'll have to protect against that happening again, and that's not what they did. <laughs> so you look stupid sort of way, but uh, but that tells you a lot about Mayo. And look, I have a lot of things to say about about Mayo this year. That uh, on looking back in last year, simple things like. They used 38 players last year. They were relegated in the league, uh, but they took that in the chin, went into the championship, weren't that far off uh, causing an upset in the, in the final that day. And this, at times, uh, they looked as if they had Dublin all wrapped up. But look, we're not naive enough to think that that was, that Dublin were ever going to let that play out the way it played out. But there's a couple of decisions and a couple of incidents in that game which made a real massive difference and we didn't have much time after the game to, to talk about them but uh, but like when it comes to Mayo I still think they deserve a huge amount of credit for, for what's happening in there and the fact that uh, it doesn't matter they're going to keep trying to unearth another couple of gems and it's not going to take probably that many more uh, to have them back up there again and, and look, we can keep saying, oh, that'll be the end of Mayo, that'll be the end of Mayo, there's no such thing they're, they're just one of those teams that's going to keep coming How did you find it, Joanne? Yeah, I did it was just, we're back to that the whole season was surreal so, the whole, so you can take that as already, but you just felt, it was one of these things where you felt like you were part of something special and you, you were so aware the whole time that you were lucky and everybody there seemed to didn't no matter who they were whether they were working on cameras or the keepers everybody knew that they were so so blessed to be there and that they were part of something different something historical something special and it did it like i know what Oshin was saying earlier about it, it seemed more important it, it more felt like there, there was more pressure on you because these are these are things that are going to be remembered but please god they won't be repeated in the same way because of the, the reason but you're you were there were times where you were aware these are these are times and broadcasts that are going to be talked about quite possibly for a very very long time. So yeah, I know people keep saying oh we're privileged, but it's it's the only real word you could use. That that's what it felt like being there. It was something different. It was all Ireland and all Ireland final. What was it? Six days before Christmas Day. That's insanity. Like when you actually think about it, who ever would have thought that, that would happen? So so that was it. Yeah, just lucky and part of something special. It was, it was an intense time, Paul, because there was a lot of games. There was a lot of games coming thick and fast, and uh, <clears throat> it didn't feel as if there was much of a breather between us. Uh, it went from you know um, reviewing the game to previewing almost straight away. There was no time for you know uh, dissecting dissecting games majorly before you had to move on to the next one. Um, and it was very, very intense. And like, I don't know about Joanne, but when I come home after the all, I finally sat there and went, Whew. you know, yeah. like it was just was, it was just that, it was just a period of time where you just put your head down and you, you realize that, you know, you it was going to be a tough number of weeks or whatever it was. And everybody, like, you know, like Joanne and, and myself and anybody else who's involved, we all, everybody's got, got lives outside of that and families and. Uh, work or whatever it is and uh, and it was just seen, it was just a really intense period. You know? It was emotional wasn't it? It was emotional yeah. even when you think of you had the bloody Sunday commemorations which were done brilliantly and I'm normally one, I, I find these things boring and I don't mind saying 
I normally did. Didn't find that in the least bit. That I, I was just, he just felt, it was kind of eerie. And then of course it was wrapped up in that weekend where insane things happened and the emotion coming from pitch, the emotion that you could feel just in the air the whole time. It was, it, it's really hard to describe actually. When you've, you've, you've talked there, both of you have talked about the time that you have to, to, to talk about games. And you mentioned after the game, but even at halftime, the television is, it's so, because of advertisements, either side of it, you've got a very condensed period of time in which you can probably discuss three moments, three events in, in a half, not really much more than that. How do you pick them? Who picks them? Uh, well, I'll say it's team, but ultimately, ultimately from listening to the lads, I, I, I will, between me and the lads and maybe the programme editor, but uh, we'll have a chat and just judging from what they say and what we think, Ultimately, I suppose you could say I'm probably the one who does do it, but um, but it's all based on what everybody else has been saying and everybody thinks is important. And I say, right, we'll do this, this and this. I mean, if Ushin feels really strongly about it, he'll turn around and say, well, personally, I think this is higher and we'll have a discussion about it and then we'll switch it. But I suppose probably me, but with an awful lot of talk and I'm, there's I'm, some things. There's some things that just can't be left out. There's some things that are so clear that just can't really be left out. Uh, and and honestly, I'll tell you this straight up. Some days you're fishing for stuff, looking for stuff. Um, and other days you're going, how are we going to condense this into, you know, what we have? So it 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 varies uh, dramatically. But there's some days that there's just certain things that can't be left out. And there's big moments in the game that just can't be left out. And then otherwise, then it's those, as Joanne says, a bit of a team effort with Joanne having the final say. But it also, it is, it's funny you should pick that, ask about that, because it's probably the greatest skill of broadcasting is trying to fit in what you want to say and what you want to discuss within the tiniest period of time and having to be ruthless and say, yes, that's important, but if we want to talk about this properly, that's just not going to happen. So, you know, you have to prioritise where you're going and you might decide one thing and the lads might start talking so well about something else and it becomes something bigger that you on the spot have to decide, right, that other yoke is gone, let's stick with this. So, yeah, that's the way. It, it's different than the evening show or any evening show, like live, the live at half time and what you choose to pair. It's an unfolding story. It's unwritten what's going to what's going to happen have you come out after a game and thought oh we're after missing something absolutely fundamental here in the first half do you think do you, have you come out afterwards and thought okay we've missed a trick here yeah yeah but regularly you come up well I, I'd never be perfectly happy with the, everything I'd always feel there's stuff we could have done more and we could have done better but but there are occasions where you go don't put me in the spot when they ask me for one but there, but there are times when I go do you know what? I actually think we, I think we should have done that, or maybe we stayed too long in this, and we, we could have got in that, or we we might decide that if we have time to stick in this incident, we'll talk about it, and the last minute we say no, we won't because the teams might come out, and then the teams end up staying longer in there, and you're talking about another thing instead, and you're thinking, oh, we could have got that in. So, yeah, always always questioning, and never feel like we've quite managed to get there. Oh, a new a nuance in the rule, for example. Um, Calvin V. Down last year in the championship 
uh, Conor Madden stepped off the field, stepped back on, uh, was involved in the goal. Uh, I can't remember what I said after, but uh, I basically was saying that you know it was it was fine, and all of a sudden three referees, you know, he stepped off the pitch, which is something I wasn't even looking at to be honest. I was just looking at what at the incident and was there a foul involved. Uh, so little nuances in in the uh, in the rules that maybe you miss out on. Uh, really, protect, I find them particularly annoying because well, I hate referees. I hate referees get one over me. <laughs> you're doing that on the spot. You were co-com that day. I I'm a terror for if there's something like that and it's up in there. I'm on the phone and I'm ringing. I'm ringing and I won't say who, but he's probably going, "Oh God, here she is again." So I. <laughs> phone saying what is the exact rule and, and i won't ask them I, they know what i'm asking about but i say what's the rule in relation to if a player does x y or z and they say that's not what he did <laughs> because they know what that was <laughs> but yeah now i'll be the phone as i try to get everything exact because i'll want the exact you need to know what the exact rule is because uh, you can yeah. turn around and say one thing and actually what the rule book says is not what most people think it says. That happens quite often. You'd be amazed how often the rule book says something different to what you all your life has believed to be the rule and mo most people around you do as well. And it gets tweaked, Paul, that gets tweaked more than you would believe. And there's another tweak in this time around. I just got the rules the other day and there's a tweak around uh, an offence in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the penalty area uh, or the parallelogram that... Uh, that you can get sent off for, but but you actually it actually doesn't give away a penalty. Uh, we we get the I get the the right warden for it, but again it, that's something that has changed from last year. But it was something that was brought to my my attention. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But hey, uh, we we stopped making sense of it quite a while ago. But uh, yeah, it's just another little thing just to keep an eye on. Where did you get the book from? I haven't got it yet. Five contacts. We won't. We won't examine that. A referee, basically. <laughs> I'll send it on to you. If you're if you, when you're running a discussion on the Sunday game, let's turn to after the match. When you're when you're running a discussion on the Sunday game, what are you looking to give the viewer? Um. What I what I I have I have policies that I think are most important, and my number one thing is accuracy. Uh, followed by fairness and I think if you get accuracy fairness automatically comes so I want the most accurate um description and analysis of the game and of everything that's going on that we can possibly get and if you are everything is as accurate as you can be then ultimately you are fair on everybody involved and you, you have to add that has is particularly important when you are dealing with an amateur sport. I, but I, I still think it should be the same, even if the professionals, but it's particularly important when you're talking about amateurs as well. So ultimately, accuracy and fairness, you can't beat that. After that, obviously, um, entertainment comes into it and, and all that and proper analysis. But the most important thing is just to get things right. If, if, we, if, we, if we talk about analysis and research for a second, uh, the people who, who work with you behind the scenes in RTE and people who work with you in punditry will all say to a person how much time you spend on analysis and on research. And that every single person who've spoken to talks about your, your understanding of football and how well you know the game. But do you find it frustrating when you're 
essentially chairing a discussion and trying to mold a discussion when do you would would you like to actually get in and offer your own opinion more no definitely not i actually wouldn't um for a start one of the reasons being is that nobody cares about my opinion it doesn't matter if uh somebody that by the way that's the first time i've ever heard that and it's very nice thanks <laughs> but it, it really doesn't matter if, if ushin thinks that or if somebody else thinks that that makes no difference because the person sitting at home couldn't care less because i'm not there as the pundit and that's not my job my job is to get the best discussion going and to give as many of the sides the good sides uh, the important sides of the discussion going so no it doesn't bother me in the least I, I what I love to do is because everybody thinks differently and I love hearing that and I love getting the different views uh, and, and people can see the same thing and think something different of it and that's what I love and I love being able to get that from people and chat to people about that and, and hear no but I, I no I don't need to I don't need to do that because I'm so lucky with the job that I have and that I'm able to just um, get dissect what other people think and get their views of it and I, I'm like a hoover trying to hoover up as much as I can from all the, the different minds out there who see it differently. That's fair enough but I do want to ask you a couple of questions though about about your opinions on on football so who do you think is the best footballer you've seen play? Ooh. Don't embarrass me Joanne. <laughs> well, I, yeah okay I won't. Um, you said you said Peter Canavan Oshin, didn't you? <laughs> Did you really? Sure. So, yeah, it took, well, it took me about 10 years before I actually said it, but yeah, I did eventually, so. I, I would prefer to use the word favourite instead of best, because uh, I think there are so many different things. Um, I was always, if we're going back... That's a very neat sidestep, very nicely. Uh, no, but I do mean it, because they're, 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 I genuinely mean that I uh, loved Trevor Giles. Always adored Trevor Giles as a footballer. You see where I go with these. I'm a very particular type of footballer. I, I love a playmaker. So I loved Trevor Giles, and even though we only really got to see him for one season, I adored watching Marty Clark play. That year, 2010, when he just pulled the strings for down, one of my favourite years uh, of football, simply because of the way he played. Um, there was a, a player for Dublin called Christina McGinty, um, who used to be the Dublin captain, and uh, she would have been my idol growing up, basically. So uh, I would have loved her. And again, really smart footballer. I, I love a smart footballer and someone who pulls the strings. So Yeah, I have a good friend uh, from Dublin, one of my oldest friends in the city. Here's a guy who uh, he's the absolute spit of Trevor Giles. So when we were hanging around together in the late 90s and early 2000s, we'd be walking somewhere and people shouting, how are you, Trevor? Adam, it was, uh, yeah. Throwing yeah. things at him. Yeah, throwing things at him. You have to go around undercover. One of my one of my favourite moments was we were in uh, New York uh, about th four, 2017 and we were playing, like, they brought 30 ex-All-Stars over for a match. <laughs> I think there's, there's still regret to this day, but I mean, the talk is over. And uh, Graham Garrett, I was walking just into the, into the club rooms with, with uh, Graham Garrity and about five or six people said, how you travel? And it was one of the greatest moments of my life, I swear <laughs> to God. You talk about a gay, <laughs> I've never seen him as angry. Not even, when, well, not even when the Aussies were at him, was he as yeah. angry as what he was. He was so <laughs> deflated walking in. And I, I've called him Trevor since. Yeah. Oh, Did you get them up to it? I wish I had the brains to do that. <laughs> Brilliant. How do you feel about pundits from the counties who are playing being being on screen with you? 
Yeah, I know a lot of people have issues with this. I don't as long as you have one. I also don't mind if they're biased because, of course, they're biased. They're supposed to be giving you that, that sort of view from the camp. So as long as you have both camps represented and hopefully a neutral in there, it actually doesn't bother me. In fact, it can add, if they do it properly and they give you the sort of the Kerry view or the Dublin view or whatever it is, I think it just gives you a different form of punditry. But if you're, if you're sitting there expecting them to be neutral, well, that's just not going to happen. So if you're looking for neutral punditry, no. But if you're looking for to get different views with them, I'm perfectly okay with it. Do, do you do you look at other presenters on other stations and in other sports in other countries, whatever? Do you look at them and how they do their job? I probably do without even realising it. Um, yeah, I suppose I do, but not in a sort of sit down and say, I'm, I'm going to see how he or she does it. But if somebody asks a good question or something that I wouldn't have thought of I'll always take note of it and, and, and think of the way they do it and would I have asked that it, it, it's more that rather than kind of study than such because I think one of the really key parts to being a broadcaster at all is is being yourself I think that's the if you if you attempt to imitate anybody you're on it onto a loser you just can't do that um so to a degree yes but mostly no if that makes sense I had a com I had a conversation with uh Joe Malloy from from off the ball and uh, Dave McIntyre commentator recently and we were it was in the context of w words that were used it, he clearly was upset after he used it the golfer Justin um, yeah Justin Thomas what he said afterwards and he he, he said, we, were, we were just talking about this idea of saying something on air saying something on live on air and this this fear that one sentence can just basically ruin you does that do you have that do you have that fear no not like that what i will say what justin thomas said was that the word he used was particularly um would put him in a bad place so i can understand yeah. why, although i do understand you know you would question why that word would even come into his head but of course he was after missing a a put that he should have put in but even still so i actually can understand why why he came in for criticism even though you can have sympathy at the same time for him but um yeah that's where that's where i'd be on it too yeah but um not not while i'm on air because when you're on air you're in the thick of it and it doesn't even come into your head but but there are times you think I suppose it, it is possible that you could say something, and especially me, because I'm, I'm terrible. If something comes into my head, why wouldn't you say it? <laughs> I remember sitting, my sister saying one time, you know, just because you think of it, you don't actually have to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but not, not when I'm on air, and I don't, I wouldn't, that's one of the few things I wouldn't overthink. But it, but it is obviously possible. Oshin. I've never ever thought of it that until you said it right there now. And now um, it's going to be in my head from now on whenever I want to do anything around punditry. But I think, uh, I think just like so, sort of what Joanne said earlier about trying to be yourself as much as you can and not trying to imitate anybody else or not trying to just have a genuine um, opinion on what you think. And like, it doesn't have to, you don't have to disagree or agree with the person you're beside. You just, have to be forthright in what your opinion is and believe in that opinion. I remember on radio one day saying something and Joanne picked up on it because it was a bit, it was a bit half arsed. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, I'm actually it was a bit shocked at that. <laughs> but it was half arsed, right? And uh, Joanne said to me, and, and 
to be honest, I've been used to not to being challenged on 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 saying on what you say, and uh, and made me think just a little bit more about um, how I put things across, and if I'm going to make a point to be forthright about it. Now, luckily enough for me, it was something that I felt very strongly about, but uh, obviously I felt as if I had to um, to develop that point and to make sure people had a, an understanding of where I was coming from. But I suppose that's the biggest thing for me. The biggest thing is to be forthright with my opinions. And and be, the important thing is that your your opinions are your own because if they're not coming from there, then that's when you will um, that's when you will be called out or you will be found wanting. Do you ever go away and think, do you know what, I was actually totally wrong there on that. And I don't mean about a prediction or I don't mean about um, you know, trying to forecast something. I mean, actually, just an opinion that you just you just go away and you think about it more. You ask something in the spur of the moment, or you offer an opinion in good faith, and then you walk away from it and you just go, "Oh, I, I was I was actually wrong there." Uh, yeah, I would I would definitely I would definitely change my mind on things, um, but uh, I've never thought I've never thought you know afterwards that. Uh, I was wrong in saying what, what I said, but I, I would look back and things and think, like for example, just that example I gave earlier after the All Ireland final, like you know why wouldn't Mayo? Like Mayo are are Mayo are known for for going after uh, Dublin, They're known for going after games, for attacking games, for pushing up and all that sort of thing, and and yet there I was saying that they should that they should uh, sit back, but that was just the way I felt at the time because I thought. You know, uh, you know, there's bound to be, uh, as I say, some scarring from what had gone on uh, twelve months previously. So, um, so that's that's just an example. You sort of you sort of change your mind around it, but at the same time, you know, usually when when you're, it's like a manager thinking, you know, thinking about making a switch. You make a switch in good faith, and sometimes it work, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're a genius, and sometimes you're not. So, sort of look at it like that. Joanne, you said you said earlier that with about five minutes left in the in the Kerry Cork match from the Munster final, that it just it, it dawned on you that Cork might actually might actually win this match. I have to say, I watched all of that match, and I'm not too sure it dawned on me that Cork were actually going to win it or actually could win it. I just presumed Kerry would tip on a couple of scores, or even. It, the ball was dropping into the square. I think it's at that point that it finally struck me that actually Cork might just win this match and Mark Keane scored. Did you get a sense, did either of you get a sense watching the All-Ireland final that you would reach that point with Mayo? Did you actually, did either of you ever think Mayo were going to win that match? No. No, I didn't. I, I'm still trying to come to terms with the fact that um, Oshin is uh, kind of uh, second-guessing himself after what he said at halftime. I think still to this day, I think it makes sense, the idea of putting a, a sweeper back there just for those first few minutes, even if it does go against the James Horan policy. But no, I confess, I, I never did. Even even when they looked really, really good, it, it never felt to me like they were going to pull away at any stage. Oshin? Yeah, no, I was always doubtful about it. Um, and that's the way, that's Dublin. Like when I talk about Mayo being scarred, I'm scarred. Dublin has scarred me over the last six years. That you just 
you just feel as if they'll always find a way. And you know what? Uh, one of the biggest things Paul just noticed from even from last year, and probably even going back two years now, they're not getting what they got scores wise off the bench, but they're still finding a way to do it. And and the guys who are uh, coming on are in different positions, and the and the guys who are coming on aren't necessarily making an impact around the in the forward lane, but they are making an impact as far as primary possession and all shutting somebody down, all that sort of thing. So. Um, no, I, I never really was convinced that, that Mayo was going to win. Isn't that really, though, it's not really interesting from a broadcasting <clears throat> point of view? Because if you're broadcasting a Leinster football semi final or final and you feel that Dublin are going to win, and the chances are, and the, aver- the, the evidence is really clear, it's a 16, 17, 18, 19 point average winning margin across the last number of years. How how do you convey a sense of excitement about a game or a sense of interest about the game when you know all the evidence evidence is stacked in the different direction? Well, I think this comes back to what I was saying about um, accuracy and fairness earlier on. Like, it's not our job to pretend that something that's not exciting is exciting. And people sitting at home, I think there's few things they hate more than people pretending they've just watched something that means that it doesn't so uh, that doesn't even come into it what you do then is you look for what the story actually is out of the game so obviously there's only so many times you can talk about Dublin's dominance and the issues with Dublin and all that sort of thing so what you have to do is find out what is there outside of the fact that Dublin have hammered a a team in in Leinster once again and depending on the match and depending on what's happened that's going to be something different but I, I would hope I would never pretend something is exciting when it definitely hasn't been you said you said excitement there and excited. Are, are are you guys excited by the National Football League side by the Allianz League starting? Does that does that? Are you excited by that idea? Excited by anything starting again? I think everybody is. Um, I think we're all. I'd, I would imagine everybody's excited to see um, what what teams are at. Uh, obviously, it's been five months since they were had any sort of a match because obviously they haven't had challenge matches at all and and there are if you look even back to last year there's certain things i'm excited about i'm excited about seeing what galway have we've been talking about mayo plenty but we forget that galway were beaten by one point by mayo i think people forget that and if Owen mclaughlin hadn't dragged down sean kelly in the, the last minute galway could have been um connick's champions despite not having played particularly well. And that was their only championship match that they had had because obviously Sligo couldn't play. And um, judging anybody on last year, I think is, apart from the teams perhaps that progressed several matches in, you can't. With what happened with COVID, you just can't judge them. So if you just even think back uh, and don't dismiss this time last year in the league when Galway, the type of football they were playing and how they were flying it. The idea that poor Joyce would bin that and think, okay, we have to change approach seems highly unlikely given his personality. So I'm really excited to see what they bring. Obviously, Tyrone with their new uh, management team and Conor McKenna, we're going to see a full season of Conor McKenna. And he, in what, a couple of games, just, I can't get over the impact he made immediately. So we're going to hopefully see a full season of him, at least a full, well, kind of full half league of him and then whatever they manage to do in the championship. And uh, excited to see what Kerry have as well. And if 
if they're going to continue, um, they obviously decided that they had to do something, change the way they play if they're going to really, really progress. And obviously it didn't work out against Cork. So are they going to continue to, to do something like that? Are they going to go more defensive? And I know you guys were talking the last podcast about obviously they've lost uh, Peter Crowley now as well. So they're even struggling in terms of the numbers of defenders they have. But are they going to persist with the type of game plan that they were building towards, even though things went wrong against Cork? So... There's loads of stuff to look ahead to. So, yes, very excited. Oshin. Yeah, the Galway one is an interesting one. I'd say if you give Porrick Joyce uh, the opportunity now, he would, <clears throat> he would opt to have no more games in Pierce Park. Uh, it just doesn't seem to... They just don't seem to... Uh, it, it just doesn't seem to be conducive to the way they play football for some reason. Um like even like even Chum, like which again you would think you know for a goal the team, uh, top of the ground sort of type team, uh, you would think mm, you know that's not a, a place somewhere, but it seemed to actually play better there and then um, away from home. So uh, I think they are a very interesting conundrum this year, uh, and depending on just how much work uh, they've been able to get in uh, between now and then, I think. I feel a little bit for the for the four teams in Division One from Ulster because they're probably sick of the sight of each other at this stage and uh, like the people are talking about a mini Ulster Championship and it's probably going to come down to the to I think like we nobody knows what sort of bounce Tyrone's going to get but it probably comes down to Monon and Armagh in a dogfight to try and stay in in that division so as much as I'm like Joanne, I'm very excited about the fact that, you know, we're getting football back. I would have loved to have seen, you know, am I play, not Dublin, a Kerry and, uh, do you know, um, and a Galway and, and teams like that. Because I think that's that's what they would need. And I think when you th- when you take into account the Ulster Championship and we continue talking about um how close it is and how it's you know as far as provincial championships go it's the best of them it's the best of a bad lot i suppose but um when i think about um the quality of it that has come out over the last couple of years that's in question again i think and it depends now how uh donegal will progress like i'm not going to start in donegal again because it'd be unfair of me but uh the squad that they have the players that brought through they're not making the most of them players, and uh, this is a massive year for them. Massive, massive year for not only from league football, Paul, but can they get out of that side of the draw in Ulster? Because uh, they have to be hurting big time for what has happened in the last three years. Again, I'm not, I know I'm going over old ground now, but just uh, Galway, Donegal, uh, and then what sort of bounce Jerome will get. Um, and do you know what? Monaghan probably. Good bit of bad press maybe last year. Uh, uh, you know, Bandy, you know, got a hell of a lot of stick about, you know, how they've, uh, how the House of Cards come down against Cavan. But uh, they still have a lot of good players. They still have a very good underage system. And uh, they've breathed a good bit of new blood into that into that squad. And, and uh, so there's, like, I'm after naming, naming, you know, four teams, three of them from Ulster. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a bit cutthroat up here because only obviously one of them can go ahead and progress. But I'd just be worried about the quality. Do you know what I mean? Like it will be a tight, tense also challenge, the same way as always is. 
but just the quality whenever we actually get out of of Ulster. Uh, can we realistically put up a challenge at this stage? And Donegal are best place as far as players are concerned, but mindset at this stage, I'm just not sure where they're at. Yeah, for people who, who haven't followed it, the structure of the league this year is there are four divisions again, eight teams in the first three divisions, seven in, in the third because London are not involved and of course Kilkenny don't field a football team in the league. In division one, oh well across all the divisions, there's a north section and a south section and it's division one sees Tyrone, Donegal, Monaghan and Armagh playing off against each other and Kerry Galway was common in Dublin. On, on the other side. But it actually means that both Monaghan and Armagh, if they finish bottom of that section, could be relegators because they go and play the bottom two teams in the other section or whoever finishes bottom there. You lose those two games and you're done. And it's it, it is quite tight in that. Mayo in division Mayo in Division Two. Do you think that actually going to Division Two might help Mayo? Well I think that I'm I don't think they care actually because Mayo just don't seem to it doesn't seem to make any difference and Division Two has been strong obviously the last few years as well but it seems to matter not a jot at Mayo in the league sometimes they're absolutely atrocious in the league and they just sneak in at the end so I honestly think it doesn't make a blind bit of difference for for, for, for them I want to skip to Division Four Oshin you you've this is you've been waiting for this I know you've friends and acquaintances taking teams. <laughs> around Division 4. Talk us through Division 4. First day out, uh, Loud v Antrim. Let's just start with Loud v Antrim. Let, I think I might have, uh, again, I might be going over all the ground, but uh, I was taking a lot of those Loud lads. Um, I'm, I've been coaching DKT for 10 years now, and uh, any time I've ever mentioned Loud to any of those Loud players, They've never seen that fuss them whether they played for Loud or not. Um, public guess I had none of them ringing me asking me why they weren't making the Loud panel. And I had a lot of phone calls uh, this year wondering why you know they weren't getting shout and all those sort of things. So that tells me one thing, that he has the best players available to him. Uh, they're all in there. And, That's pretty hard. Yeah, and there's a renewed, definitely is a renewed hope around... Uh, like I think there's an I think there's an obvious ceiling for the likes of Loud, but uh, I think you know the from the players from the players that they have the personnel that they have, um, they really should be getting out of Division Four to be honest. Um, I just think like when you look at Loud and you look at Antrim, um, they're trying. They're definitely trying to do the right things, and they're putting the money where their mouth is as far as structures and all those things. And it's not just the structures at the top. You know this thing of let's bring in a high-profile manager and we'll like you know there's a real they've got a direction there and they're going to follow that. And on top of that, they've brought in high-profile managers. Now, if that was a standalone thing, um, then I, I'd be really worried about it. But it's not a standalone thing. There's been a, there's been a review of football in in both uh, Lowe's and Antrim. And uh, there's, there'll be a hell of a lot of work gone in there. I think Slago's another interesting one. I think Tony Mack. Um, he, uh, he again, I don't think he has all of the players he wants to have, but I think he has the majority of them. And uh, I think what you're going to see, that when, when people watch Slago, I think you'll see a different approach than we've seen from Slago in some time. And maybe an approach that, we haven't seen from that many teams as far as how direct 
they'll be. I hope I'm not giving away too much, but how direct they'll be. And uh, so I, I think for me, that makes uh, Division 4 alone, just even because of those three teams, um, really, really intriguing. But like, you know, you skip you skip past awfully. I mean, like realistically, awfully are the next Dublin stroke Limerick with all the money they have now. So um, that's actually outrageous. That is an what's, absolutely outrageous slur. What's what's outrageous about it? Have you not got a pile of money now? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not too sure where to start with this. Shane Shane Lowry, um, for those of you who don't know, has come on board as a um, sponsor patron of of Offley uh, GAA. He is, um, I think, I think the money that he has given is important in helping grassroots, etc. But it's more than that as well. It's his bringing his financial and commercial acumen to what's happening in terms of the raising of funds for investment in the underage game. And it's what you said with about Louth and, and Antrim. It's the fact that the money is being directed towards coaching structures and towards the building of nurseries across 41 clubs and all that really matters. And, you know, this kind of, this this snide kind of arma uh, tone that that was delivered in, it just, it's unbecoming. Is, will, can you, whenever you get down off that hay horse, will, will that money... <laughs> Well, that money makes some will have some sort of effect at the top of awfully football stroke Harlem. I think it'll be. I think it's. A, I think there's a longer term project here for awfully football. I think there are a lot of players coming through at under fifteen, under seventeen now. But I think it's going to take time. I do think it's going to take time. But you now have the financial clout to go in the right direction. Is that? <laughs> This is this is I actually I, I I'm I'm astonished that you would go down this route. <laughs> Why? Why would you be astonished? Mm. Although I did I did laugh when um, Shane Lowry was keen to point that that he didn't have the same sort of cash to be pumping into yes, JP McManus. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose if that's the bar you're in, you're in, you're setting it really high. Um, is he only off? All the awfully boys now, right? Every 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 tour uh, gig he plays in now, all the all the majors won't be interested in the lowly stuff, not the European tour. No, we don't. We don't. No, we all the PGA stuff, where it's two million for the winner and all that. But that's where the way we kind of roll like that as a county. <laughs> Any, anyway, um, Division Three, we kind of, we we you're right. We did skip past Division Three and Tipperary are in Division Three and Cavan are in Division Three. So, Joanne, two provincial, two provincial champions in Division Three. Were you in Thurles for the Tipperary match? Were you? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that was just. I mentioned emotion earlier. It was on because you were there, and then you had it followed by the the Ulster one was after the same day. It was just on the whole weekend. Just incredible, and it just felt like it all culminated in this ball of pure emotion that was down on the field and I know it was awful that there were no fans there but but you could still you could you could actually just feel this 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 sense of history or something that was there and it was coming off everything and it was just was unbelievable and and then I think yeah the Colonel Reardon's interview was was obviously yeah, a very emotional one it was emotional but then I thought the Connor Sweeney interview in many ways told you more because now I'd be a massive fan of his as a footballer. I just think uh, he was often overlooked as the type of footballer he is. But did you see how 
calm and almost this this kind of subtle steeliness in his interview. You, you could see how, where nearly where the performance came from, despite they the expected fact to win, didn't they? They expected to win. Yeah, well, it, it certainly wasn't a doubt, and it certainly he was even playing down the jerseys thing, and he was and not in a sort of um, media managed way. It, it it was all very very genuine and articulate, even though he just he just played in that. In those jerseys, in this occasion, it achieved that, and he was still able to stand there and and give this perfect interview where he analysed everything and he answered everything so well. Um, so yeah, no, it was an incredible day. But but again, like you, you think of their performance against Limerick, and you forget that that if he hadn't pulled off this ridiculous, like it's a unbelievable rid- kick, unbelievable. Side as a point down, and there were twenty because I, I dug it out just to check earlier on today. There were twenty seconds on the clock um, of of injury time, so they did have time for him to take the free and give it off and get it back and play it in. But he chose. He chose, yeah, he chose. If he if he'd missed it, it's game over, the championship over. Um, but but yeah, but but they're so difficult to assess what they're like. Uh, you would imagine. And he's gone back to Australia, of course. So there's a player. Colin, sorry, Colin Reardon has gone back to Australia. Yeah, so yeah. And uh, do we know if Michael Quinlivan, I presume, is still hanging about, uh, which would be something because obviously he wasn't due to be there last year. But but even like during the league, sure they were lucky to hang on in Division Three last year. Uh, they were lucky to get past Limerick in the Championship. So I'd imagine we'll probably see more in- inconsistency from them again uh, this league, and they'll probably be hanging on. Would be my guess. I'd say Cavan would be very eager to get back up. That uh, that would be my thoughts on that. So I- I'd say we're we might see a bit more consistency from Cavan, uh, <laughs> but I have no idea what we we'll see from Tim. Oshin. Yeah, um, Callan for me um, should go back up. Uh, be interesting to see if they have a couple of data, or a couple of boys who, who also went travelling last year. And actually, uh, I believe they're still away, but I don't know for that that for definite. But McVitie has been their best player for three or four years. Be interesting to see if uh, what he's seen last year is enough uh, to entice him back. If he if he did, that would be a massive thing for them. I think I tuned in Conor Madden fit ready to go um would be a massive uh um player for them and i think uh would be well fit to operate in division three and could do a lot of damage and a lot of heavy scoring in division three um but calvin last year i watched him against armada last year and they were horrendous and i thought to myself i don't know if these guys are going to pick up any points um I can't remember what the, the big change was, but they went to leash. I'm not sure what the game straight after I was, but they went to leash in the third game and uh, beat leash down there and uh, started to sit up and take notices. And then, and uh, I like the two, uh, I like Smith um, as a wing as a wing back. Um, I think one of the, for me one of the players the Ulster Challenge of last year. Uh, again, maybe didn't just get as much of the limelight as some of the guys, um, but I just think that uh, Mickey Graham's a very shrewd manager. They're very well set up, uh, and I think they'll come out of Division Three. And like Joanne with, with Tipperary, I haven't a clue. Um, what I can't a clue what Tipperary going to have to offer this year. But um, if they have any uh, designs and going any further, like you think that they would, like all every team needs to hit the ground running. That's the thing. 
You know what I mean? They all need to, uh, and they've only had four weeks um, prep proper preparation. Um, most of them, so, anyway. Most of them, <laughs> and you you would think that uh, I suppose at this stage that um, that would be important to, to give power and and them boys to get out of that division. Mm. You know what I mean? Just to play at a, just at that little bit of a higher level. And uh, I think May will just bounce back straight up into Division 1. I know you didn't ask me about that, but uh, I think they'll step back up into Division 1. And Cork, can, Cork, can Cork continue getting out of Division 2? They've gone from 3 to 2 last year. Can they go from 2 to 1? Um, I think they can. I think it's going to be really tough. Like last year, Division 2 uh, and Division 3, actually, really, really tight. Uh, Cork are certainly capable of it. I mean, they, they, you can't just put it all down to a poor Kerry day and the bad weather. They they obviously have something there and they have a, a very determined manager, as we saw, <laughs> eager to get them back in action very early. Uh, they, have, they, have, they have good players and they have... Uh, they have a good management team. Um, I think they're capable of it. It's just, it's really, really tight. I'm dying to see what Meath have to offer as well, because obviously they had some very good days last year and then they had an absolutely horrendous day, but they wouldn't be the only ones who've suffered that sort of fate against Dublin. So um, I think Division 2 is again going to be really, really close. So let's go through it really quickly. We'll, we'll call this out. Who's going to win the league? Just just give me a name. Oh, who's going to win that? Uh, Kerry. Kerry. If, so if Dublin. Dublin. Okay. And who'll be relegated? Uh, Roscommon and oh, Monaghan. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go uh, Monaghan or Ma. Sorry. Yeah. I, I think it'll. Uh, uh, yeah. I think it'll be Roscommon and Arma. Uh, Mayo. Who will win Division Two or which two will go up in Division Two? Mayo, Down, Mead, Westmead, Cork, Kildare, Clare and Leash. I'll, I'll go Mayo, Cork. I'll see Cork edge out Mead. I'll go Mayo, Mead. Yeah, I think I'll go Mayo, Cork as well. And who'll be relegated? Call them out again for me, sorry. Uh, Mead, Westmead, Clare, Leash, Cork, Kildare, Mayo and Down. Clare and Down for me. Clearing down. I'll go yeah. You go what? Sorry, Joanne. Kildare Leash. Kildare and Leash. Okay. Wow. Division Division Three. Longford, Derry, Fermanagh, Cavan, Limerick, Tip, Offaly, uh, and Wicklow. Who's going up and who's going down? Cavan. Uh, you were saying Cavan and Tip earlier. You stick with Cavan and Tip. I probably will go Cavan Tip. Yeah. Uh, I'll go Calvin and uh, Money Back. I mean, uh, Offaly. Yeah, I'll go Calvin and Offaly actually as well. Um, Division 2. Loud, Antrim, Sligo, Leitrim, Waterford, Carlow and Wexford. I'll go uh, Loud, Sligo. Yeah. Joanne? Um... Yeah, loud Sligo, but I, I'm interested in the fact that Enda McGinley took over Antrim and he's very, very ambitious. Like, Enda doesn't do things if he doesn't think he's going to win. So uh, I'll go loud Sligo, but it wouldn't surprise me if Antrim um, got in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Antrim. 
I think Antrim will, will win that division and I think it'll be loud with them. We didn't do relegation from Division 3, so it's Longford, Derry, Fermanagh, Cabin, Limerick, Tipperary, Offaly and Wicklow. I keep a score on these, by the way, Joanne, for the year. Oh, God. Um, I'll go Longford, Wicklow. I'll go Long, Longford, Limerick. Longford, Limerick, yeah. I think Limerick aren't too bad. Um, we're... Yeah, ask me, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can just, learn a few things off Joanne. Just <laughs> don't forget that um we have this new black card rule that is coming in as well and that could cause absolute mayhem. Um especially after I was listening to Fergal Horgan on the I don't know if you heard him, the All Ireland yeah. Fire talking on the hurling last week. It's definitely gonna cause mayhem in hurling because they've decided to bring in the black card but not bring in the black card, which is absolutely hilarious. Um so but you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to encourage clarity. It gets much more interesting <laughs> for referees when you live in a kind of a grey area and you know, nobody's really too sure what happened. It creates a little bit of space for controversy. Yeah, well he he was very clear, he was very clear on exactly what the rule was. Uh, and it sounded I thought I, and I remember I was listening to him and I said, Oh, it's much more straightforward than I thought. And then he started saying, But remember, there's no black card, but there is a sin bin. And there is a penalty and it's for these and it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity and i presume this will come into football as well people assume it's like soccer and it's a clear goal scoring opportunity and he says it's not it's a goal scoring opportunity and it's also only for specific fouls so that's why i'm dying to see that rule book Oshin, because i thought it was any goal scoring opportunity but it's only goal scoring opportunity under what's essentially the same as the current black card rules are so and it's all in the referee's interpretation Exactly, which he was very keen to point out as well. So here we go. All we need to do is throw a TMO in the mix there, and we're absolutely away with endless, endless, uh, endless fun. I'd like to say thank you, Joanne, for coming on. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you again on the show later in the year. Thanks, William Oshin. Thanks to uh, Larry, uh, to Raf Rocket, to Tony Lean, and everyone at the Examiner for making it happen. Uh, see you all soon. Bye bye. There's a small bit of a needle there. Come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Listen between them, and now they're really roaring. And I can tell you, tell you, that there won't be a cold milk and declare for at least a week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.